That's a really cool story, and um, those are just stories that are continuing to be written, and uh, you have been a part of that, and so thank you for that. Happy Mother's Day, all of you moms, even those that are watching online. Uh, we're grateful for you. We're grateful that uh, you made it through with us, and we didn't, you know, make your life completely terrible, because um, uh, I think you're still grateful for, for your kids. And so uh, we are diving into week three of a teaching series called Ever Wonder Why. You know, it's funny, because last week I, uh, I had some other things going on on campus, and uh, I was not able to be in the room for either one of the services, and after both services, I had people come up to me and say, did you hear about Mark's dream? And I said, uh, no, I, I haven't heard about that yet. And uh, so they kind of began to share a little bit about it. And here's the crazy thing. I had a dream last week, too. Crazy. It's bizarre. It's like God wanted us to have these dreams at the same time. My dream was a little different. I, I had a dream that I, I, I got to go visit heaven for a minute, and I got up there, and I'm standing at the gates, and St. Peter is there. And as I'm standing there, just kind of in awe of the scene, I, I see this massive body of water. And as I'm looking across it, I see people walking through this water. But here's what was crazy about it, is people were walking through it. It was like the depths were different at different places in this massive lake. And I started, so I started looking for people that I recognized. And as I looked, I, I looked and I looked and I looked and I saw Birdie Nets. Some of you know Birdie. Birdie's on staff here. He's one of our associate pastors. And Birdie's walking and um, walking kind of slow. He's got his cup of coffee in his hand because he's always got a cup of coffee in his hand. And uh, it, the water's about knee deep on Birdie. And I was like, that's interesting because I looked just a little further over and I saw Cherie who was just up here talking to you guys. And she was like just above waist deep but yet they were really close to each other. And I was like, all right, Peter, tell me what's going on here. I said, why, why, is, why are they that close together but different depths in the water? And he said, well, the deeper that you walk in the water, the more sin there was in your life while you were on earth. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I got it. So I, started, I saw some of you, and I was like, I was surprised on some of them. Uh, and then I look around, and I'm like, is that Laura? I, I see Laura, Laura shook, and here's what was crazy. She was walking on water, and I was like, all right, that's fair. I mean, we all know Laura. I was like, but she's not Jesus, so come on, like, at least, like, her toes are in the water, right, Peter? I was like, why is she walking on water? And he goes, oh, she, she's not really walking on water. She's standing on Mark's head. And I was like, oh, got it, got it. And then he proceeded to hand me scuba gear. And, uh, and then I woke up, and I was deeply troubled. Uh, here's the reason I tell you that story. Two reasons. One, we don't like to take ourselves too serious here, um, because if we did, then uh, it would just be a rough time. Uh, but also, I think even thinking back to that ridiculous dream and um, all that it is, is, there is something about that, though, that kind of sits with us because we do have this tendency when we look in the mirror to compare ourselves and our lives to the lives of other people. And we draw conclusions about ourselves that way. We draw conclusions about the people around us based on the way that we live. And sometimes we even have the thoughts, you know what, I don't have it all together, but at least I've got it together a little bit better than he does or she does. And that really kind of sets us up for the question that we're going to answer today in this third week of this teaching series. We've gotten a lot of different questions, and by the time this series is over, we will have answered several questions from the platform, but we're also going to follow up with each of you that asked a question. So if your question doesn't get answered from the stage, don't worry. We will get you an answer. We will contact you. We'll have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So um, 
those will be some, some great conversations. But today what I've done for Mother's Day is I've kind of taken several questions that we received and fit them all into one question. We got a lot of different questions about specific types of behavior and whether or not uh, they were sinful behavior or they were acceptable or what kind of, uh, why is there division in the church over things like politics or specific behavior? So what I've done is I've created a question that I think we'll answer today that will give us some answers to some of those other questions. So it's kind of like a, a casserole of questions for week three, okay? I felt like that was fitting for Mother's Day. Um, I don't know if your mom cooks casseroles, but my mom used to. Um, hopefully there's no casseroles being made right now because I'm just afraid men making casseroles is a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, so anyways, but this is a question we wanna answer. Why is there conflict around drinking, tattoos, and politics in church? We okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we already, we already feel a little bit of tension here. Uh, man, just hang with me. We're going we're gonna to dive into a, a, an interesting story in Acts chapter 15 that's going to give us some insight that I think is going to help us understand why there's conflicts around things like these three topics. And we'll look at a couple of other topics mixed in with these. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 15. It's a story that Luke is telling. The, the, the book of Acts is really kind of the second book of Luke. Luke wrote Luke's gospel which is all about the arrival of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, his, his death, his resurrection. And then you get into Acts, and in the very beginning of Acts, Jesus is still with his followers, with his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And as they begin to live out life, they are living life on mission with a purpose to take the message of Jesus to all of the world. They're motivated by what they had seen, what they experienced, the truth that they knew, and that was that Jesus did come back to life. He walked out of the grave, and he was, the, the resurrection was true. And I believe that was kind of the, the, the thing that motivated and, and drove them the most. And so we get to this bizarre story in Acts chapter 15. In the middle of all of this church explosion, Church is growing, people are meeting Jesus, beginning to follow Jesus, understanding what this life looks like. And scholars believe that this particular passage was probably somewhere between 18 and 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to read this, and I think we'll begin to see some things that will make some sense of the question that I have proposed this morning. So it starts off, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. We're just throwing all kinds of tension in the room today. <laughs> Why is this important? What is circumcision? I'm not going to describe what circumcision is. Most of you probably understand what it is. But here's why it's important for this passage. It's really important for the rest of our time together, together today. And you're like, oh, this is weird. Circumcision was important in the Jewish faith, the Jewish tradition. It was uh, it was required that any Jewish man be circumcised in order to have a relationship and be in right standing with God. And so what's going on here is there is a group of people that are following Paul, and he is trying to grow the church. He's telling people about Jesus. There's these Jewish men that are following behind him, and they're communicating more than what Paul has communicated. And one of the things they're saying that they're really passionate about is they're telling these Gentiles that don't come from a Jewish background, who don't know anything about the Old Testament, nothing about Jewish culture, they're telling these men, hey, you, you want to really have a relationship with God, then you've got to be circumcised. I don't know about you, but I think that's a terrible philosophy for church growth. <laughs> I mean, some of you came to church today 
your wife said, hey, I think we really need to make sure we go to church today. It's Mother's Day. We don't want to miss Mother's Day. And you drove in the parking lot. If you knew that there was a chance that you might have to go through something like this, I mean, you're like dropping the kids off and dropping her off at the front, and then you're just kind of sitting there, and she's like, you're going to come in? You're like, I, I don't know, man. I just, I got to think about this. You know, if I invited you to starting point, which is uh, the, the class that we hold every now and then that is all about why community of faith exists and how you can plug in and be a part of that, where we start talking about the best version of you exist in a community of faith, if the best version of you required that you be circumcised when you arrived, that class has got zero attendance from the men in the church. <laughs> but this is an important thing for this group of people. And it starts to create this conflict. There's some tension in this. Look at verse 2. It says, and after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with them, like voices were raised, there might have been a little spit flying because they were yelling and arguing and having this confrontation with these other men. He says, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So they make this decision, they come to an agreement, and so Paul, in the middle of this, this journey that he's on where the church is experiencing incredible things, I mean, people outside of Jerusalem are meeting Jesus and trusting Jesus. This is a, an incredible uh, movement of God that Paul is being able to be a part of, and he says, time out, I've got to go back to Jerusalem because we've got to, we've got to have a church meeting. We've got to have a conversation about this because this is not okay. So we skip down to verse 6. It says, The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles, these are those that didn't come from a Jewish culture. They knew nothing about the Jewish faith. He said that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and believe. So they would recognize this. They would be able to place their faith in Jesus. He says, and God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. So these Gentiles, not just the Jews, were able to receive the Holy Spirit. This is confirmation of a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So Paul's trying to help them understand this. He says, just as he also did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them. There's, there's no favoritism here. There's, it's not that the, the Jewish Jesus followers were more important than Gentiles. And he says, cleansing their hearts by faith. Notice he doesn't say cleansing their hearts by doing something specific. He doesn't say cleansing their hearts by circumcision. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, what cleanses their hearts? Faith. Continues in verse 10. Since this is the case, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke? Now, we don't use that word a lot in our culture, but that's something they would use in agriculture and farming. They would take two oxen and they would uh, basically tie them together to do the work together. And so it, it kind of adds this extra burden. There's a weight. There's, 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 it makes life more difficult. He's saying, why would you do this to them? Why would you add this yoke, which neither, of our, neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? He's saying, why would you even do this? I mean, let's just go back and think, guys. Let's think back to the, our faith. Let's think back to the way that we were raised. We were raised in this Jewish custom where there were 613 rules. There's no way to live by all those rules. He's saying our fathers couldn't do it, we couldn't do it. Why in the world would we try to require that these men and women try to live by the same standard? He goes, it's crazy. Why are you doing this? You're making this about something that's really not necessary. You're making it difficult for them to understand who Jesus is. And then he goes on in verse 11 and says this, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. He said there's no distinction. 
There's nothing that we can do that makes us better. There's nothing we can do that earns God's favor. There's, there's nothing that we can do or that they can do that accomplishes this except for believing and putting our faith in Jesus. He said, that's it. That's all it is. And it's kind of this mic drop moment. I think we see here, we see the first reason that we have a tendency to fall into conflict about certain topics and discussions in church. And it can get really messy. The reality is is that we become traitors, traitors of, of certain things. Specifically, I think the first thing we see here is what's going on in the early church is we become traitors that trade the freedom found in grace for prison in the law. And specifically, I'm talking about the law of the Old Testament, the Jewish custom or requirements to do certain things, to live up to a certain standard in order to earn God's favor in our life. Martin Luther says that the humans are hardwired for works righteousness. What that means is he says, he's basically saying that it's what you do and how well you do it that's going to earn favor with God, that's going to allow you to have a relationship with God, to be able to be in his presence, to know him, to experience him, to to earn his protection. There's something in us that we, we feel like we need to have a scoreboard that shows us how we're doing in our lives when it comes to the relationship that we could have with God. And sometimes it's not the bad things we avoid, it's the things that we run to that are actually good things. It's like, man, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm, I'm inviting other people to my church, I'm, I'm doing the best I can with my family, my family's doing okay, I think I'm a decent husband, I think I'm a decent wife. And you start to kind of think in all of these ways where you begin to misplace the grace and the freedom found in that grace that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And we begin to trade that in for this imprisonment to a set of rules or standards or expectations. And this is a tendency that we have in the church. And listen, if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't do this church thing very often. I was just invited here maybe for the first time or maybe you've been away for a long time. I don't want this to scare you today. In fact, I think some of the things you might hear today might be refreshing because maybe some of these things we're talking about are the reason that you've maybe been away for so long. So stay engaged, listen, and let's all kind of continue to process this together and understand what that means. The problem is, is that when we begin to focus on what we must do, we begin to dismiss what Jesus has already done. It's an important thing for us to understand. When I... A couple, actually, last summer, I did a wedding in far north Texas, and I was driving home late at night. I decided to stay at the reception for a little bit longer than I probably needed to because I wanted to drive home and, and be home early in the morning. And so I left, and I was driving through Dallas, and I don't know about you, but it seems like they do the most bizarre construction projects in the middle of the night. And so I decided to go through Dallas for some reason. I don't know why. I, don't, I usually go through Fort Worth, but I went through Dallas, and as I was going through downtown Dallas, I got detoured because of construction. Well, it wasn't really that big a deal. I was just going to follow the Apple map, you know, because it never lets you, lets you down, except for when it lets you down. And I exited, and I started driving, and I was going through all these, like, neighborhood streets. And after about 10 minutes, I realized I was doing a big circle. And my map was leading me in that circle. It just kept taking me around and around and around. And the reason I realized that is because I saw a building. You see, I used to live in Dallas. And I remember we went and did a service project as volunteers one afternoon on the south side of downtown Dallas. And while we were there, the guy that we were working with came and he was talking to us. He said, did you guys know that this set of blocks in the city of Dallas has the highest murder rate in the entire city? And so I was driving that night and I saw the building we were in that day. And I was like, oh, fantastic. (laughs) Here I am, lost, don't know how to get out of here. 
and I'm going to lose my life. And I did circle after circle. I could not get out. And finally, I just had to abandon my map and look at a map and just try to figure it out old school way. Remember when we used to do that? MapQuest? Anybody? Anybody remember the MapQuest days? Here's the reason I share that story. I think there's some times that we do that with our faith. We begin to think about a relationship with Jesus. We begin to think about how we trust God and that we do that by maintaining a bunch of rules, by staying in a specific system, by making the right turns and going the right way that we're going to be able to maintain this relationship. But what that actually does is it doesn't lead us to more freedom. It leads us to more confinement. And Paul is trying to help them understand this, to see this, not just for themselves, but for the people that they have been responsible for taking the message of Jesus to. I think we see where some of this conflict comes from, even in, in our own churches, in our own faith circles. The story continues on in verse 12. It says, all the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. I mean, there were incredible things happening through the ministry of Paul in this day. I mean, people were meeting Jesus, and it was completely turning their lives around. And then look what happens in verse 13. It says, after they stopped speaking, James responded, saying, brothers, listen to me. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he says, listen to me. I need you to hear me clearly. And then he goes on, skip down to verse 19. It says, it is my judgment that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God. He's saying, we're, we're causing problems. We're creating barriers. We're, we're, we're becoming stumbling blocks for people that may not know what this relationship with God looks like and the life that's possible for these people. He's saying, we cannot cause trouble for these people. He continues on. He says this. Well, we'll come back to that. Here's what's interesting. I think there's a tendency that we have that we begin to cause trouble unintentionally that keeps people from understanding clearly who God is and who he wants to be for them. And sometimes we do this because of our own preferences, our own traditions. If you spent any time at all around Mark and Laura over the years, they have, they're passionate about this. It's one of the things that, that made me fall in love with this place years ago was this idea of we want to do everything necessary to reach people who don't know Jesus. We're ruthless for the kingdom. I've heard Mark and Laura say that over and over and over. And in that, the reason is, is we want to remove any obstacle, any barrier that's going to make it difficult, that's going to create trouble for people knowing God. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. And so I think about this when I'm preparing a message. We think about this when we're planning events. The last thing I want is that I give you some sort of indication or image of myself that's not accurate, that I show up on Sunday mornings and I show some sort of facade that hides the real version of Wes, because there's no value in that, because at some point you're going to see the real version, and the real version isn't going to be what you thought it was, and so you're going to be disappointed, and that's going to cause trouble for people. It causes trouble for the people that Paul is talking about. Last summer, my wife and I went to Cancun. We got to go on a Cancun vacation. We took our boys. We went with some friends. And my oldest was having his birthday while we were there. And so we decided we were going to, you know, take him out to eat. And we said, hey, Braden, where do you want to go for your breakfast or for your birthday dinner? And he said, uh, I want to go to the Hard Rock Cafe. I said, okay, great. That sounds great. So we have our driver take us. We leave the hotel. We go to where Hard Rock Cafe is. We get there, and Hard Rock Cafe is no longer there. And we're like, oh, man, that's a bummer. They closed down. COVID had forced it to shut down. And so I was like, man, what are we going to do? Well, 
the building that Hard Rock Cafe had been in before was still open, but it wasn't Hard Rock Cafe anymore. It was Senior Frogs. <laughs> You're laughing because you know. See, that's the problem. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. So Brandy and I, we were like, all right, look, that looks fun. I mean, there's a frog hanging out outside. The frog looks friendly. And so we go inside, and it's still daylight outside, but it's not going to be daylight for long. And so we're eating, and we're about 30 minutes in, and Braden looks at me and goes, Dad, I don't think this place is for Christians. <laughs> and I was like, man, I am really messing up as a dad, all right? Like, don't celebrate me on Father's Day this next year because I totally blew it. Not only that, we told him that it was his birthday, and so they, it, it, it was a disaster, all right? That's all I'm going to say. I had no idea. I know now. I, I want you to understand, like, that's the, that's the point. Like, we're all messy. We all make mistakes and Paul is wanting to remind these people that that's true for every single one of us. So why are we causing trouble? Let's not allow ourselves to cause trouble. I think that's the second thing that creates conflict when it comes to church in some of these gray areas is that we trade a passion for the mission, the mission being helping the world understand who Jesus is, to find hope and freedom in Jesus. We trade our passion for that mission and for submission to tradition. Or maybe you want to replace tradition with our, our, our submission to our preferences. The things that make us feel good about this place or this faith that we have in this man named Jesus. I think the charge here is that Paul is charging us even with today is that would you be careful? Because every single one of us have a tendency to become focused on our customs, on our tradition, on our preferences. And we begin to, not intentionally, but we begin to expect everybody else to live by those same standards or to operate in the same way, or to listen to the same music, or to play the music the same way. Several years ago, at the very first church I worked at, it was a, it was a small church up in North Texas, and I remember this sweet, sweet lady walked up to me, and she was always super sweet, but she'd kind of fallen into this place where it was like, this is the way church is supposed to be. And we had a youth Sunday, and me and several of the students actually led the music that morning. I stood on a stage like this with a microphone in my face, playing a guitar, leading people and singing. It was terrible, all right? So, so that's not ever gonna happen here, I promise. That's a good way to kill a church. Uh, circumcision and West leading the songs in church. They're, they're like deal breakers. But she came up to me that, later that week and she was in the office in the middle of the week. She said, Wes, why do we have to have, like when you, when you let the students lead, why, why do they have to use the, the loud guitars and, and the drums and, and all of these things? And she was, she was genuinely asking. She wasn't asking out of frustration. She was just like, I don't understand. Do we really need that in church? And I said, I don't know that we need it, but there's something there that helps the younger generation, which also includes her grandchildren, to maybe feel a little bit more comfortable, feel like they maybe belong in that space so they can hear the message that God wants them to hear in that place. And it opened her eyes to something new. And she began to think about that. And here's my prayer, and this is my thought for us today, is that nothing would ever prevent us when we think about our traditions and the things that we think are comfortable for us. We would never allow those things to keep us from reaching the next generation. I think Paul would echo that for us today. That's what, that's what he's talking about. It's why we care so much about having a clean space and a clean facility. 
It's why we care so much about helping people find their places on this campus. It's why we care so much about you jumping in and being a volunteer in our kids' area and our first impressions and our greeting team so that, so that somebody maybe from the outside who wants to know more about Jesus and this God can show up in this place and feel like this place is for them, that they can find people that are here like them, that look like them, with backgrounds like theirs, and they can show up and feel comfortable and that we wouldn't cause trouble for them in understanding who God is. Sometimes we have this subtle tendency to find ourselves in conflict because we want our style, our preference, our way of doing things. Because my way is the right way, right? And you feel the same way. I think Paul is trying to get us to understand there's something important that we could really mess up. And we have something important. We have a message about a man named Jesus and what he accomplished for every single one of us, and that always has to remain the main thing, so that we don't stumble over things that are not essential, that prevent people from ever hearing the message of Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about in this passage. The story continues on. If you go back to verse 19 that I read just a second ago, it said, it is my judgment. So Paul is writing, saying this, that, or James is saying this, that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God, and it continues on. He says, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from acts of sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. That's a, that's a bizarre verse. We're talking about strangled animals and sexual immorality. It continues on. And they send, they send Silas, they send them, and they send them with this letter about this, and the letter says this, greetings. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. What essentials is he talking about? He's talking about what they were just discussing at their church meeting. They were having this conversation. Here's why this is important for us to understand. He talks about sexual immorality and he talks about animals that have been strangled for sacrifices to idols. He's saying stay away from those things, abstain from those things, and avoid sexual immorality. Well, it's, it's, it's calling out two specific things, and this is kind of what creates the gray areas, and this is how we understand how to navigate the gray areas. Because what he's calling out, he's saying specifically sexual immorality. This is a, a moral standard. This is a moral commandment that God gave in the Old Testament that still applies today, and he specifically speaks into that because in this day, the Gentiles were living in a culture probably similar to ours where sexual immorality was just the norm. There was no... Uh, boundaries. There were, there were no standards. There were no expectations. It was just like, man, just, just do whatever feels right to do. And he says, hey, you, you need to stay away from that. You need to, you need to understand there's, there's ways that are better for that. So take notice. But then he also says something about these strangled animals. And it points us to something because you begin to go back to the Old Testament, the 613 laws that Moses brought to the Jewish people. Now, some of those were moral standards, moral commandments that God gave his people. But there were others that were more of a Jewish civic or ceremonial law, which is where the strangled animals comes into play. Because it was, it was tied to some of those ceremonial laws of the Jews in the Old Testament. And so he's, he's calling out both of these. He's saying there, there are things that we still need to recognize that were moral standards and moral commandments that God gave, but there's some things that maybe we don't have to pay as much attention to which creates a little bit of, attention, of, of tension for us here today because we begin to think, wait, hang on a second. Does that mean we get to just pick and choose the things that the Bible says? I mean, I, I've been accused of that before, just being someone of faith, and maybe you have been too. It's like, well, hang on, you want to focus on that, but what about this? 
What about in the Old Testament where it talks about fabric or some of the dietary laws of what to eat and what not to eat and what to do on the Sabbath and what not to do on the Sabbath? Why don't you live by that? You tell me to, to live by this commandment, but you don't want to live by this. And it kind of creates this, this tension and it starts to create questions. Why do I say all this? Well, the reason they're talking about this is because the strangled animals given to idols was offensive to the Jews. It was offensive to their culture. And so what they're doing is they're saying to the Gentiles, listen, there's the moral standards that have never changed because God has never changed, but there's some of these ceremonial laws that can create some tension and some conflict when it comes to the church as a whole. And so we're just asking that you would recognize that and you would, you would be conscious of that and considerate of that as he's talking about that. I think it shows us something. You know, I think there's some of us here today that you think about picking and choosing, and maybe that's why some have walked away from the church, because we fail to realize, maybe you've never heard this before, but the Bible is written to three different groups of people, three different uh, periods of time. It was written to an individual first, Abraham, and then it was written to a nation. The nation was Israel, and that, then it was written to nations, the New Testament, which was everybody else. And so as you begin to understand in that context, it kind of helps your, your mind shape around the things that are important. Failure to understand that is why some have lost faith and left the faith or are considering losing the faith because it's created some questions that we don't know how to answer. And theologians for centuries have had conversations specifically about this. There's the ceremonial laws, which we live under the authority of God's word until God's word says that that no longer has authority over us. And there's things like that that come from the Old Testament, but there's things in the New Testament that really do matter. And all those things in the Old Testament that used to be requirements for having a strong relationship with their Heavenly Father, Jesus arrived to fulfill so that you and I didn't have to continue to try to fulfill something that was impossible for us to fulfill. That's what Paul is talking about. It's what he's pointing. That's what this conflict is all about. And it leads us to this place. And so this continues on. And so in verse 28, we see that he's writing this letter to the Gentiles. It continues on that you abstain from the things sacrificed to idols, from blood and from things strangled, and from acts of sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. That's, that's it. I don't know about you, but I, I don't know how I would respond to that. It's like, wait, what are we talking about? And then it continues on. Look, look at their response. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and after gathering the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. So they're excited about this. This is, this is good. They're like, okay, we get it. No conflict. We're good. We can, we can move on. But I think in this, we see the last thing. It's simply this. That we trade the internal transformation for external impression. This is what creates a lot of tension and a lot of conflict in church, churches, what happens is, is we begin to take our eyes off of Jesus and knowing Jesus and the, being transformed by Jesus and sharing Jesus with the world and all of that that's happening internally that begins to manifest itself externally and we begin to focus instead on what, everything that's external because we want to look like we have it all together. We want to sound like we have it all together. And Jesus basically says to his disciples when he was still on this earth, he says, hey, listen, there's really only two things that matter, love God and love others. You've heard it said around here all the time, love is the mission. Why do we say that? Well, because that's what Jesus said. Love God and love others. Everything really comes down to that. So don't get so focused on the external. Don't get so focused on the things that are going to create conflict. Just focus on who God is calling you to be and who he's calling you to love. 
and the rest will begin to take care of itself. But that's difficult because we're all different. I mean, thank goodness that there's not seven plus billion people in the world just like you. I mean, how terrible it would be if there were seven plus billion West Jacksons in the world. It'd be a really boring place. So God in his creativity created us to be unique and different, to have different preferences, different things that, that kind of make us tick. But with that brings some tension. It brings some conflict. And it creates this danger because there's a tendency that the longer we walk with Christ, the longer that we begin to trust God and we begin to live out this faith, this, this faith and connect with others who live out this faith, we begin to draw these subtle lines, rules, expectations that because we feel like we need to live by them, everybody else should live by them, which brings us to these ideas that, we, we're, that are attached to this question, these behaviors that we talk about. Okay, so what, what about this? What about this, Wes? Is this wrong? Is this right? And see, what we do is we actually start to make these rules because it's what we feel like we needed to do out of a personal decision, a personal conviction, and we make that a rule for everybody else, and you come to church and say, hey, we need to pick a side. Let's pick a side and sign here on the dotted line. And it becomes incredibly destructive. So what do we do? Well, let's talk about a couple of them really quick. For the early church, it was circumcision. That's not our issue today. But we have other issues that are maybe tied to this idea of alcohol. Now, I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian home. I grew up, uh, my parents took us to a Baptist church, and so that probably gives you a little indication of uh, my background when it comes to alcohol. And my, I've heard this many times, but how do you know the difference between a Presbyterian and a Baptist? Presbyterian is going to wave at you at the liquor store. A Baptist is not. And that's kind of where my background came from. That's the background that I grew up in. It was like, hey, avoid it. Stay away from it. Let's focus on all the things in the Bible that say that it's dangerous, which are all true, which are all valid. I read this week that one out of six who drink alcohol have a serious problem with alcohol. I read that one out of ten children overall grow up in homes where there's alcohol abuse. Last year, there were just over 100,000 deaths related to alcohol. Across the globe, there were 3 million deaths related to alcohol. So if that's your stance, like, hey, alcohol is wrong, I'm going to stay away from it. Listen, there, there's nothing wrong with that. that. That is great. I respect that. I get along with that. That's where I kind of come from. That's where my background was as a child. That's kind of raised me up. But that creates some tension because not everybody thinks that. Because there's others that are like, hey, hang on a second, Wes. Just because something's abused doesn't mean it needs to go away. I mean, that's not true for sex or food or words. I mean, you start abusing food. It's like nobody's trying to hide all the desserts and say, hey, let's do away with desserts in this world. And so that, that, that doesn't really solve the problem. And let's talk about what kills. Okay, 100,000 people died from alcohol last year, but there were 300,000 that died last year in our country from obesity. And so there's, there's other things that are problems, so you can't compare it that way. The Bible has instances where people drink alcohol, and I've heard it said before where someone's like, hey, I, I know that it says that they were drinking wine, but wine then didn't have alcohol like it has now. Go read Genesis chapter 9. You know Noah, the guy that built the big boat and brought all the animals with him? Later, after that happened, it says that he got drunk with wine and he was running around naked dancing in his tent. Okay, so like there, there was something to that wine. It was more than just grape juice. There was this man named um, Jesus that drank wine in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. So there's, there's, there's kind of both. Ephesians 5 says this, do not get drunk with wine. I had a friend say one time, you notice it doesn't say do not get drunk with whiskey. And I was like, ah, you're missing the point. <laughs> I don't think you understand what this is 
what, what, what that's talking about. So what do we do? Well, we gotta make the decision for ourselves. And what's right for you may not be right for everybody else, and that's where we have to be careful that where God is leading us to draw lines and boundaries in our lives is not necessarily where he's gonna call other people to draw lines and boundaries. So we have to be really, really careful to not get focused on what we see externally and begin to make judgment about other people. Because when we do that, we begin to push them out and say, you don't belong here because you're not like me. You're not like us, so you can't be with us. I think it's an issue that we see in churches, we see in our culture. Another one that nobody cares about is what we look like, tattoos. I grew up in a background where it was like, guys couldn't have long hair, tattoos were not gonna happen, there, I was never gonna be able to get a piercing. Um, I had to wear nice clothes, and it was just, that was just kind of the, the life that I grew up living and the expectations that, that were in, in my life. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Is there anything wrong with the opposite of that? No. So we have to be careful what we see externally. And first look at the heart and let things come into our lives that can begin to shape our lives into who God wants us to be. It's not about our external appearance, but we can become so focused on the external. The last one I'll talk about is simply this, and this won't create any, any tension in the room, but if you walk out, we'll just assume you gotta go because it's time to go. Politics. I'm gonna read my notes a lot on this one because I have a tendency sometimes to say things that I don't intend to say and that makes people angry. So here's what I know to be true though. The Bible must shape how we think on everything in our lives. Whether it's immigration, whether it's taxation, abortion, whatever it is, the Bible must shape the way that we think. But if we're not careful, when it comes to some of these important things, will allow our positions to become some sort of religious law or rule or expectation and an, an external sign that we want everybody else to align with in order to be right with God, and it's dangerous. And maybe you're right. Maybe your stance is right politically. On the left, on the right, somewhere in the middle, maybe you are right, but here's the danger. Sometimes, in trying to be right, we make it really difficult for someone who's far from God to know God because what happens is, is the, the stance that we take becomes primary in our life. And we allow a secondary issue to become the ultimate issue for us. And we begin to communicate a message that prevents people from hearing the message, specifically the message of Jesus. So we have to be really careful. I think it's important to understand this, and I'll say this and then I'll be done. Jesus, when he gathered his inner, inner circle, he found a man named Simon the Zealot, who was passionate about anti-government. He was passionate about running out the Roman government. As he brought Simon the Zealot in, he also brought Matthew the tax collector, who actually worked for the Roman government and collected taxes from his own people to support the government that they hated. And Jesus said, hey, I want you and I want you. Let's come together. And you start reading in the book of Acts, and you read in the book of Acts how these two men from completely opposite ends of the political spectrum were brought together by a man named Jesus who transformed their lives, and now the church begins to explode because of the work that they're doing, because what they thought was ultimate was no longer ultimate. It was secondary, and it was important, but it wasn't most important. And so I think there's something for us to hear and for us, something for us to recognize in this today, to maybe look in the mirror and ask God, God, how do you want me to respond to this? Because we all have a subtle tendency to fall into one of these traps where we begin to trade either the freedom and grace for the prison in the law, 
or we begin to trade the passion for the mission God has called us to live for submission to the tradition, or we find ourselves in this place where we begin to trade the internal transformation for external impression. We become all consumed with what it looks like on the outside. What is God calling you to do today? Maybe it's just to simply ask for forgiveness and say, God, I, I think I've been a little too harsh in some of these things, and I need to repent from the way that I've judged some of the people around me. Or maybe today it's someone here that you've been wrestling with something like alcohol or some sort of substance abuse that is leading you to a place that you don't want to go, that the future you is going to be un unthankful for. And you need to talk to somebody about that today. I'm going to put this up on the screen just in case that's you. I'm going to skip that real quick. Our community counseling center that's on our property. Maybe that's what the step that God is calling you to take, just to have a conversation or talk to someone down here at the front today that's a volunteer. Or maybe you're here today and you recognize, you know what, I always thought following Jesus was all about following the rules, but it's not. Jesus said when he went to the cross, the last thing he said was to tell us die. It is finished. It is done. He didn't say to tell us die, meaning go fix yourselves. He fixed it. But we have to trust him. And maybe today is the day you realize, I'm going to step across that line. I'm going to trust Jesus. Can we pray? God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place together today. You've got to pray that this story in the book of Acts would stir something in us and remind us of something or show us something that we can take and put action to, that we can respond to. I pray for those that maybe are here today and really kind of struggling with this idea of trusting you. God, would you continue to just pull them in? Would they trust you? Would they experience you? Would they begin to find answers to some of their questions that are keeping them at an arm's distance from you. God, I pray that now. Just draw them in in the only way that you can. God, I pray for anyone that's here today that maybe is struggling with some sort of substance abuse and uh, maybe is even kind of keeping that quiet, not letting other people know about it in order to protect themselves or not do what is necessary to, to find freedom from that. God, would you give them the courage to have that conversation, to seek out that help, to find freedom from that addiction, to that habit, to that tendency. God, more than anything, I pray that you would use this group of people, your church, to continue to make an impact and a difference in the world around us. So what has happened here today, what we've heard today, what we've experienced today, would it not stay here, but it would go out to do what only you can do in the world around us. We trust you for that. We thank you for our moms. We thank you for your presence with us when there is an absence of our moms. Thank you for that. Thank you for caring for us. I pray that today would be a day where you are honored as we celebrate so many special people. We trust you, we love you, we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.